You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. introduce myself. Some of you, uh, maybe we haven't met, uh, but my name is Ben Rainey. I'm, uh, I'm a minister uh, in this area, and my family has made this our church home. They were here in our first service, but, uh, but my ministry takes me to other churches in Maryland, Virginia, D.C., and half of West Virginia. So I spend a lot of time uh, traveling, overseeing uh, our churches in our, in our network, and, uh, and I usually say the better half of West Virginia. But I got to be careful, you know, because I don't never know who's packing uh, in in West Virginia. <laughs> Although we're in Fulkier County, so I like I don't know who's packing right now. Anyway, um, it's so good to to have chances like this, Pastor. Gre- aren't you thankful for Pastor Greg? Pastor Greg is uh, traveling this weekend, and so he asked if I could uh, help out by, by bringing the word this morning. It's my privilege and honor to do that. I also celebrate today with uh, Pastor Lisa and Pastor Danielle, Pastor Austin, who are following Pastor Malik's footsteps uh, in ordination. So they're in that process of, of being recognized in ordained ministry. And... Uh, and so my, my ministry specifically works with that, overseeing 1,100 ministers as they, uh, as they study to show themselves approved unto God and uh, as they stand in their calling for the church. And so we're looking forward uh, to May, hopefully. Uh, to, there, you got to go through like a meeting with the presbytery and all kinds of uh, investigation, all that kind of stuff. So hopefully you'll be there, right? Right. Okay. All right. Pray for Pastor Austin. Okay. Before the, before the services this morning, early this morning, the worship team uh, came together. They were uh, warming up their instruments and voices and that kind of thing. And I'm so thankful for their ministry and the way they lead us. And then, and then they transitioned off of the platform back into a room that's back here off of the, off of the auditorium. And, uh, and there they, they prayed together for today's service. And at the conclusion of that prayer, someone raised their hand and said, I, I just I want to say something. I, I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is saying that there are answers in the house today for many questions. And that there will be people who come into the church with questions. And today, they can receive their answers whether it's through the ministry on the platform or the preaching of the word or a conversation that we have in the lobby. God is a God of answers. Is it possible that in the room today there's someone who is coming in to church not just because it's Sunday morning? Is it possible that there is somebody who's coming into church today not because if they didn't show up, they'd hear about it from their mom or dad? 
Like, is it possible that there would be somebody here today because they are so in need of connecting with God? They're so in need of getting to a place where maybe their life could intersect with God and their life could be changed. I believe those people are here today. And I believe those same types of people gathered on a hillside outside of Capernaum in order to listen to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor's been leading us through this series about our, our living out our genuine faith in a fallen world. It's, it's reflections from the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he's asked me to continue that thought. But I, I, it does not escape me today that there were people in that crowd that were interested to hear, is there some way God could intersect with my life? And I believe that there are people here today who have come for the same reason. Not for any other cultural reasons, expectations of others, or just doing what we always do. But somehow we could come to a place where God would actually speak to us. And it's with that hope and that, that belief that I come to the scripture in Matthew chapter 6 and take on this passage to, to deliver for us a message, a, a portion of the Sermon on the Mount, one that was repeated by Jesus. This same passage we're going to read today was also shared in a little bit different uh, way in Luke chapter 15, but this was a kind of a theme of Jesus helping the people that he was working with because he was not only interested on the outside, he was interested in the inside of people. Pastor talked to us a couple weeks ago about, about how the, the audience would have contained some people, right? It would have contained Pharisees, a group of people whose job it was to make sure everybody was living according to the law of God. Like, doesn't that sound like an exciting job? Like, they, like they were the hall monitors, right, of... of of ancient Israel, like they, they were just making sure everybody was doing what they were supposed to do. They believed that if everybody could live right enough, righteous enough, then God would stop being mad with them and he would let them rule themselves instead of being ruled by Rome. Um, I know nobody believes that anymore around here, right? We don't believe that God like gets mad at us. If we just can clean up our life enough, then, then God will stop being mad at us. Uh, come on, I know people like this. Things go bad, suddenly they're like, I must have done something wrong. What did I do? And they start kind of counting through like all the things they've done. What did I do? Somehow I made God mad at me. And if I could just get my life right, I remember talking to people, inviting them to church. Hey, why don't you come out to the church and, and be part of the community there and that kind of thing. And they say, they say, man, if I walked through the doors of the church, the walls would fall down. Have you ever heard something like that? Like lightning would fall in your sanctuary, brother. Like, why? Because God's so mad at me. God is loving you. He's reaching out to you. He's welcoming you. And we, if we're not careful, we end up in a place saying, man, if I could just get my life right enough. Guess what? The Pharisees were not sufficient for Israel. I'll give you a little jump to the end of the story. The Pharisees don't save Israel. <laughs> now, there's the Sadducees. The Sadducees connected with the government, they're, they're taking, you know, government funding and they're, they're doing all these kinds of things. They're, they're trying to kind of get along to go along and they're, they're trying to get everybody like, let's, let's kind of, let's kind of just 
live with what we got and make the most of what we got, right? And then the Essenes, the Essenes, like they withdrew from culture. Like they're going to find places to hide because they're like, I'm not even with any of those jokers, you know? And so like all these people would have been gathered around Jesus to listen. There were men and women and children. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, Matthew records it this way. He says that Jesus went up on a mountain and he sat down. And the people came to him to listen to him teach. And I've said this before in this church, but I'm, re- I'm renewing my appeal. We get this backwards. Why does the preacher here have to stand up and you all get to sit down? That's not what happened at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew wants to make sure people realize he, he's setting this, right? It's on a mountain. He's, he's making sure we understand the setting. It's, it's up. Why? Because the people were looking up the mountain to hear him. And they're, they're, they're coming to listen as though he were a king in his court, right? This is, uh, this is uh, kind of the imagery that Matthew is sharing for us in order that we would kind of put our hearts in a place to say, then I want to listen to him too. And so we come here to chapter 6, verse 25. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the scripture together. Would you do that? If you're able, would you stand up? The scriptures are going to be on the screen here. And we'll read them aloud together starting in Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or what about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord, as we read this scripture and prepare our hearts... I pray that just like those hearers on the mountainside, we would hear your word and be changed by it. Would you bring us uh, out of a place of worry into a place of peace? And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Living out a genuine faith in a fallen world. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 begins this portion of the teaching. And so uh, I'd like to begin again, therefore, all right, now you always know when the preacher preaches one word and then he starts preaching, it's going to be a long sermon, all right, it's going to take a long time to get through this. Therefore, listen, if you don't know this, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lay some Bible knowledge on you, 
all right? And this is not just for the Bible. This actually shows up in a lot of different places that you'll read. But whenever you see the word, therefore, you should ask the question, what is it therefore, right? Why is it there? What's the, what's the point? What, if Jesus says, therefore, he's, he's been saying something else, right? And now he's saying, it's time to transition my thought here. I'm going to lead you into this next thought. It's built upon what we've just talked about. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Okay, well, if he's laying this and teaching on us about worry, He's trying to orient our hearts. You can, you can leave worry behind. You can separate it from your life. You can, you can step into a new place where you don't have to worry about what you eat or drink or your body, what you wear. Uh, you're more important than food, right? All of these things. If, if, he's, if he's hitting us with that, but he starts with therefore, he has given us a thought upon which to build that idea, right? So what is it? Well, I say it this way. Nothing will drive you to worry like trying to keep up with serving two masters. If you have your, your notes or whatever, you might want to write that down. Because look at the verse that comes just before this from Matthew 6, 24. It reads, No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Right? So, so this is the teaching that immediately precedes this talk about worry and separating worry from our life as well. He is continuing this idea that you cannot serve two masters. Now, he's done a great job in the previous paragraphs talking about the way that, that we kind of um, try to organize our life. Right? And we do that by, by uh, you know, accumulation. We want to accumulate treasures. We want to accumulate stuff. Uh, and he says, look, don't do that. Lay up treasures in heaven. Where, where moth and rust don't corrupt. You guys are chasing all this, this money stuff here on earth. You're constantly under its burden, all because you think it is going to provide for you, that your money is going to be sufficient to provide for you. You can't serve both God and money. Now, look, I, so my title, my ministry title, right, I know a lot of people call me Pastor Ben, but like my official title is Secretary Treasurer, which sounds terribly exciting, I know. Somebody's like, whoa, they didn't tell me the Secretary Treasurer was coming today. It's thrilling, thrilling, I get it. Look, I deal with a lot of numbers. I deal with a lot of money and, and that kind of stuff. And, and I deal with people who uh, are giving and, uh, and that kind of thing. This week, I uh, tested a group of uh, candidates again in their credentialing process. And uh, I always have kind of this thing. I talk to them about it first. I ask them, like, are they, uh, are, uh, you know, are they ready to not cheat? Um, I, I know, probably I shouldn't have to talk to ministers about that. Um, but, you know, let's just cover the bases. I, you know, really, in one of the coolest stories of my ministry in the last five years was the day I got a phone call from a pastor who said, I need help because I cheated on my ordination exam. And I was talking to my son, and he said I was lying about something. And I said, hey, man, I don't lie. And the Holy Spirit said, but what about that test you took that you cheated on? And I, man, it was one of the coolest stories that he would confess that 
and that we were able to walk with him through a process of restoration and reconciliation to the glory of God. We, we believe in redemption and the power, right? We, we believe that, right? Does, we, does the bridge believe that? I, I believe that. I'm hoping I'm in the right room here. Like we believe in the restoration of the power of God, right? Why? All because somebody says, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. So don't cheat on your ordination exams, all right? That's just kind of, that's free. That's free advice for you. Then I ask, has anybody here been conscripted into service? Has anybody been drafted into this ministry? Anybody, um, you know, any, anybody being forced to be here against your will? I want to know that because we have a giving requirement for our ministers. Our ministers tithe to the fellowship to help operate the ministry around our region. And, uh, and so sometimes, uh, actually every year, uh, our ministers have to fill out a renewal. And I... I'm the, the really fortunate person who gets to read all of them and to, like, check their giving record to see have they, like, isn't that wonderful? Like, aren't, somebody want to run for that office in this church where you just check everybody? No, we don't have that. Why? Because it's not normal. I don't know why we do this, but that's my job now. That's my ministry now to look at this. Can I just tell you, talking about people's money, a little sensitive. People get a little sensitive about that. And uh, so, like, I hear all kinds of things when people are like, I didn't know my credit card stopped the automatic pay in February with my tithe. But I'm in December now, and what do I do? There's no way I can catch up on this. Auto pay. God bless it. People get sensitive about their money. Jesus goes right after it. He's like, in my kingdom, if you're going to hear what it's like in my kingdom, I'm coming after your money. Now, look, I know some people are like, I knew that was this. I knew churches were like that. They're always after my money. <laughs> Jesus is after your money. You can't hold on to your money. That's not the way it works. No matter how you try, it slips through. No matter how much you get, it will not be enough. Because money can never have the name that our God has. Our God has a name, Jehovah Jireh, which means God is my provider. Money can never take on that name. Money is a, is a false name. Like he walks around, he's like, hey, I'm going to take care of you. Your dollars are singing to you in your pockets like, hey, I'm going to take care of you. But then what do they do? They burn a hole. Like, right? Does that happen to you? It burns right off. Right. Money is like, hey, I can take care of your problems. I can set your life in order. I can take care of your fear. I can take all of those things away. I can give you security because I'm a provider. And Jesus says, you cannot serve Jira, the provider, and money. Because money is robbing you. Instead, relinquish that to God. Therefore, all right, now, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be worried. Like, see how that builds on the other? He's saying some of you have taken money and you've made it a master over your life. I, I, I have a background in accounting. Again, terribly exciting, right? Um, but background in accounting, sometimes when people are going through difficult financial times, they uh, go to the courts, they have to file for bankruptcy, and, and somebody is assigned by the court to look over all of their financial dealings and help set things in order. A special master that, that is in charge of reviewing all of those things and making sure that everything is going along, right? It, it's as though somebody has, uh, has come to the table and is now making 
calls, right? They're calling the shots for you. O- only thing is, worry is a master you've invited to the table. He's only there because you, there's no court order that says, hey, worry gets to dwell with you today. You know, you, you've welcomed worry in. Worry has been around so long, like he's part of the family some, for some of you. You're just, oh, worry's back at the table again today. I hate seeing you, but I can't tell you to leave. You know, Thanksgiving Day's coming up, right? It's probably going to have some of those experiences this week. Oh, great. Aunt Betty, Uncle Freddie. So good to see you again. So glad you're part of our family. When do we get to the pie? And somehow we have this awkward relationship where we're like, worry, come on. Worry, come on. Worry, could you tell me? Could you tell me what to think today? Worry, could you tell me what, what, what decisions should I make? Worry, could you tell me, should I stop right here kind of paralyzed? Worry, should I, should I, uh, should I really fret because I won't have enough? Uh, worry, uh, what would you advise me? In my life, and, and we give worry this place of uh, of a master, just like we have money who shows up and says, "I'm your provider." Worry says, "I'm your I'm your rescue, I'm your security." Somehow, even though nothing good comes from our worry, we continue to come back to it and say, "Worry, could you just tell me a little bit more about how things are going to go today and tomorrow?" And Jesus is following this thought that you cannot serve both God and when he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body for more than clothes? So I want to challenge you today, since nothing will drive you like worry Nothing will drive you to worry like trying to keep up with two masters. Let me ask you this question. What master have you invited into your life? In many ways, the masters we invite into our life, uh, they come for, for reasons that make it uh, expedient to bring them close. But then they just never leave. And some of you have gotten caught under the power of worry Look at this, uh, look at these uh, ideas here. These ideas are tied together very often in Scripture, the idea of fear and worry and anxiety. You know, fear involves knowing the threats that one faces and when they will be faced, right? We're afraid when we know what the threat is and we know when it's happening. Uh, Some of you have experienced fear before, right? Like, run for your life, you know, like, why? Right now, like, something bad is here, and it's happening right now, I'm afraid. In Scripture, we have people who encounter angels of God, and they get terrified, right? Because they're suddenly in the presence of angels from God, and they're like, I'm going to die, you know? And, And what do the angels always say? Do not be afraid or fear not, right? Because the threat is right there, and we know when it's coming, we know what it will be. But then worry, worry involves certainty of threats. We know the threat, but we're uncertain about whether the threats will come to pass. We don't know if it's going to happen. We know it could happen. Like, we know what the threat is. We just don't know if it's going to happen. And then anxiety is just a little bit different than that. It involves unknown threats uh, and an ambiguous future. We don't know what it could be, and we don't know when it could happen. We're just really concerned about it, right? And, uh, and look, here's, here's what I know. 
A lot of things have changed in the last couple years. Are you, are you tired of hearing sermons about COVID? I'm tired of preaching sermons about COVID. And yet, here we are again. In the last couple of years, we've all lived through this monumental issue, right? The World Health Organization has determined this year that there's a 25% increase in anxiety and depression worldwide among humans, among people. That means that if you take everyone pre-COVID who was struggling with anxiety and depression uh, and that you just took them out, then one out of four of those that are left are now struggling with it. I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's remarkable. Have you tried to reach out to a mental health professional recently? Probably what you have found are people who care. They, they care, they want to help, but their schedules are full. They're, they've taken on more. I, I, part of my ministry is helping provide counselors for our ministers, and, uh, and these are people who have, have just dedicated themselves to the, the realm of Christian counseling, and yet they say to me, Pastor Ben, I'm really sorry. I, I know this minister reached out to me. I just, I don't have space. I, I just don't have, because there's so many people. Man, what a challenge. Change creates stress. Very often when you go to talk to a counselor, they'll give you some type of form or whatever, and they'll ask you about a number of changes. Have you, have you moved? Have you changed jobs? Have you, you know, changed this? Have you changed that? We have just lived through this season of monumental change. Why do they ask about that? Because of the stress that is created by all of these changes. We're, we're living through, man, we, we've heard about the great resignations and all of that. People have, have changed the way they go to school. They've changed where they live sometimes. They changed uh, where they worked. They changed what they did for a living. I mean, people have been changing, changing, changing. And with all of that comes all of this stress. It's, I bring this up to say this. For some of us, we think that this issue is like right now. This is like a, a post-COVID reality, this increase in anxiety and, and whatever. I just wanted to mention, we just read about it in the Bible. Like it's really old. It's been happening a long time. People have been struggling. This is not a new phenomenon. People have been struggling with worry, anxiety, fear, since they have needed Jesus, which has been since the first people. And now we have Jesus speaking to us, saying that we don't have to worry. Now, just one more note on COVID. I do want to say this, because I'm tired of mentioning COVID in sermons. Probably will still have to do that for a while, but I do want to say this. My wife had COVID Thanksgiving before last. And when, when she got COVID, she lost her sense of smell. And, um, and man, it improved our marriage. Um, like, I, I don't know, man. We just seemed closer. Like, it was, thing, things, like, got a lot better. And, uh, but, but pray for me. Pray, pray for me. Two days ago, my wife said, what did you eat? And I've realized, I think her smell is coming back two years later. So I'm just giving you some hope. Like this thing is going to kind of come and go, right? Okay. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now, some of you, would you read this on the screen, some of you have Bibles that you're reading on your phone or whatever, or you have an analog version, right? And, uh, and you read this in your version of the Bible, depending on if it's different from the New Interna International Version. Yours might say, can one of you, by worrying, add a single cubit to your height? All right, does anybody have any, any cubits, people here? Yeah, okay, I see you. We're praying for you. Okay. No, I want to address this for a little, little Bible nerd part here, just to address that sometimes we have to remember that the scriptures that we read have been translated from other languages for us, right? Did you know that? Did you know that, that Jesus didn't speak English? Uh, and so here we are, you know, all these years later, and, and uh, experts, theologians, language specialists have looked at the language that was written and recorded to help translate it into a language that we would understand. And they kind of split here, but they're saying the same thing. The, the, the real words here would say span of life, span of life, that would be kind of the, but but what does it mean to add a span of life? And so some translators took that uh, because the word uh, cubit is used in the original language, this is a span of measurement. Before rulers, they would span their hands and they would measure things, right? And they had how much a cubit was and that kind of thing. And so this was a, a way of saying uh, if, we're, if we're using kind of that measurement of space, right, of distance, then, then what Jesus is kind of saying is can any of us worry enough to stretch ourselves to six feet, which is the holy, the holy height. Uh, I believe Jesus was six foot tall. Exactly. It's like the perfect height. I've, I've long believed that. It's not in the Bible, but it should be. Perfect height, six feet tall. That would be just about an inch to an inch and a half or three quarters taller than me. That would be that would be perfect. I worked in Annapolis with this guy, the accounting firm. He was six foot four. He wore a ring from Annapolis. He had uh, the Naval Academy ring on his finger because he was a graduate of the Naval Academy, and uh, and he he always he always talked about how close to the bottom of his class he graduated, uh, which I was I was always like, stop doing that. Don't tell people that. You're six foot four. You've got a ring from an apple. Like, you should rule this place. Like, I would rule the world if I had the things going for me that you got going for you. Right? I, just the other day, my son, he came up. He got, went over to the door. We have a doorway in our household and over in the kitchen. And the kids stand up against it. And we put the pencil on top. And we mark the door and the date it. Right? Nobody does that, right? None of you all do that? Yeah, okay. Pray for her. All right. She got real excited about that just for that moment. He, you know, and man, you should see this. He has sprouted up. Like, it's, it's awesome to him that he is like, he's drinking his milk. It's awesome. And, um, you know, but man, what, what if he was like, ah, it just wasn't enough. So he, went, he goes to bed at night and he lays in his bed. And what, what's he do? He wants to get taller. So what's he? Mm. <laughs> Starts stretching. I want to get to Jesus height every night. Pastor Ben laying in bed. 
getting special equipment to stretch my, my legs from my head. Why? Well, I'll just, if I could just get another inch and a half or, or three quarters taller, then I would be the perfect. Like, Jesus says, look, man, is that what you're measuring? Like, is that what worry is doing for you? Is saying somehow you're going to be able to stretch yourself a little taller? Now, other translators said, well, yes, it did use cubit, but really that could mean a span. And so it's like a span of time, not distance. And so we, I think what he was trying to say is, can you add an extra hour to your life? Not maybe an inch to your height, but an hour to your life. I mean, some of you have never worried about how tall you were or not. But... Uh, but you're kind of like me in that people say, what are you looking for? And I say a 25th hour in the day or eighth day in the week. Amen? Can I? Okay. Did worry ever get us there? Worry keeps us looking for that. We'll never find it. It'll never be there. And yet worry drives us to kind of make all kinds of decisions to try to get things together, get them in order, do them more efficiently and all of this kind of stuff. All because we are trying to figure out how to make life work and we're driven by this master of worry. But here in verse 26, Jesus introduces a theme that is recurring over and over and over in the Sermon on the Mount. And I've highlighted it there for you. He introduces the issue of the Father. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus has talked about the Father all through his sermon. In fact, he, we, we know about the Father looks at our treasures in, the, in heaven or not. And the Father, we, we pray to the Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be. Jesus is pointing people constantly, constantly, constantly in the Sermon on the Mount to this theme. You have a heavenly Father. And, and what happens because of the heavenly Father? The heavenly Father then is watching over you. I, uh, I know that on social media, we can share, we share like memes, right? Is anybody else? Maymays. Is anybody a Maymay person? <laughs> We're praying for you if you are. Somebody right now watching online, maybe scrolling up to look at some religious memes. Don't scroll away. Stay with us. We look at religious memes. I, I saw this one, and I know, no, look, you... You get a little danger with some of the, the religious memes that we see go around. But this one kind of jumped out at me. You can pray for me about it, maybe. But here's how it goes. Religion says, I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call Dad. I mean, there's a difference when we have a relationship with our father. My friend Frank Reitzel is the district secretary in New Jersey. His father uh, passed away over the last two years and, uh, and he had been very intentional. Frank had been very intentional to meet with his father and ask him questions, questions, questions. And then he would journal the answers. Frank is big into journaling. <laughs> Every time I ask him for help with something, he goes, what you need to do is get a journal and just start writing out your thoughts. And, uh, and I'm like, I only journal on bad days. I'm like, I'm terrible that way. 
Uh, and, but my, my people know it. My, 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 my coworkers know it. They know if I'm journaling, it's because it's like a bad day, like it's a hard time, and I'm trying to figure stuff out, right? And one of my friends recently walked in my office, and she's talking, oh, hey, how you doing? And I, we have this. And then she looks at my desk, and she realized there's an open journal in front of me. And she goes, oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is it a bad day? Is this a bad time? Should I come back late? Like she knew. Well, Frank's a journaler, so he went and met with his father over and over again and, and asked him all kinds of questions to get his thoughts, and he journaled all of them down, and he said to me, Ben, you know, I thought, I thought that I had asked him everything I could think of, and now he's gone, and now I keep thinking of things I just wish I could ask him. See... You might want to write this down in your notes. When we struggle with mixing up masters, Jesus invites us to our Father. And whether it's money or worry or anything else that we want to substitute to mix masters, that drives us to worry. But man, we are invited away from that to our Father. I know I've lived long enough, I've had enough experiences, enough friends and people I've worked with to know that not everybody has a great father story. There are many people who never knew their father. Many people who knew their father until their father abandoned the home. Many people who knew their father some weekends a month and other weekends they were with their mother, they they kind of knew how to navigate splitting it. The, the people who just uh, have had a father who they've lost into dementia or other uh, mental challenges, and, and then they just they feel like they've lost the father. There are many people who have many experiences with fathers. I, I understand that. But I do think we, we could probably all agree that it's, that it's supposed to be a good thing. There's supposed to be a father in our life that loves us, provides for us, and builds a foundation for us. I often think about it in my own life as kind of an unfair advantage that I have had a good father that loves me, that has been supportive, been expressed pride in me. I remember, if, if I could just share with you for a moment, I remember, and I've shared this maybe with you before, but it was, it was one of the lowest times in my ministry. I had, I had gone and opened a church, and uh, we, we started a brand new church, and we operated for four years, and the church just didn't, it couldn't grow enough to sustain itself. And so ultimately, I came to a place with God where I felt like he said, okay, I want you to lay this vision down, and I'm going to lead you elsewhere. And so I went to my dad. He had, he had been a member of another church for decades. He had left that church to come and help me start this new church. I mean, he had put money in. He had sacrificed friendships and connections with people he'd gone to church with all of his life. He, he like had all the, and he put his hands. I mean, he put his hands onto building things for our church and helping, you know, with our trailer and all those kinds of things. And so he was the first one I sat with, and I said, Dad, I, I got to tell you something. I, I feel like the Lord is releasing me from this, and I'm supposed to lay this down and close the church. And you know what he said? 
He goes, well, I'm proud of you. And I'm like, did, did you not just hear what I just said? I'm a pastor. Like, we're not supposed to be closing churches. I had somebody, I had a leader in my life tell me that. We're not supposed to be closing churches. We're supposed to be opening churches. But here I was in this place where it just wasn't working, and I felt the Lord say, okay, it's time to move and do something different. And when I, when I tell my dad that, he goes, well, I'm proud of you. Other people would have held on way longer because they were afraid of what people would think or what they, how it would go. I, I think you have tremendous, like, I'm like, thanks, Dad. Because in his pride, he put a foundation under my life again. He had done it all my life. But here again, in this awkward conversation, he says, I think there's a hope. I think there's a future here. I think there's something you can stand on. And he put a foundation under me, a foundation that in meeting after meeting after meeting, in an awkward year, as I began to let people know that, and we went through the process of dissolving the church and all that kind of stuff, as I went through that, I had these words that kind of echoed in my heart. I'm proud of you. I mean, it, it reminds me, I know this is, this is quite an advantage to me personally. I know this is my dad, and, and that not everybody had that experience. I get that. But I look at our Heavenly Father, and I realize, look at what he did. When Jesus showed up and went into the river to be baptized and was baptized, he just had to say something. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. When, when Jesus went up on the mountain, right, Moses and Elijah show up, and they're having this really amazing and crazy spiritual experience and the some of the apostles are there on the mountain jesus the, the scripture says jesus completely changed his physical appearance and god just has to lean forward and say i i just have something to say this is my son who i love listen to him this is a heavenly father who is looking over and speaking over Jesus. He is speaking over you. Did you know that? Jesus challenges us that we look at our father and understand right back in, back in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And my concern is that there would be people in that audience or people right here today. That when asked this question, aren't you more valuable than the birds, their answer is, I really don't know. I really don't feel very valuable. I live under this, this worry that I cannot be loved enough or accepted enough. I live under this place where I just don't know if things are going to come together. And Jesus is inviting us to a father. He's helping us to find our heavenly father to, to know that we are more, you are more important to God than the birds of the air. He takes care of them. He loves them. He takes care of them and provides for them. You are more important to him than the birds and if no one has ever told you that you are important, you need to hear God, our heavenly Father, who says, I value you. I value you more than these birds. Verse 28, he goes on. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the, the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, and yet, uh, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, that's one of the Old Testament kings, 
in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father, Father, knows that you need them. You know, I'd like to tell you that I don't struggle with this question of like what I'll wear. It's not, not really been the burden for me that I, it seems to be for others. Uh, I, I go to Planet Fitness sometimes. Uh, probably not often enough. I'm probably going to hear about this from my kids that even would mention this. I work out early in the morning. I have like three, uh, three workout outfits. None of them are presentable. Uh, but when I go there, I notice that there are a lot of people who spend a lot of time thinking about what they're going to wear to the gym so they can go sweat. And then there are people who don't give it any thought at all. That, that even I'm like, hey, you might want to rethink that one. <laughs> Went to the mall recently in Florida, took my wife, and uh, we were at the mall, and uh, you ever notice like people, like there's all these people at the mall, even outdoor malls, like they've put a lot of thought into what they're wearing and it is clear. I, had a teen, I heard a teenager recently that had that dream. You, you know about that dream? That dream where you show up at school only you're not prepared in the clothing category, the way you're nervously laughing, you're nervous that I'm going to tell people the dreams you have. We all have them. Whether you're into clothes or not, I do not have the shoe game that Pastor Austin does. It's just never hit me that way. But man, <laughs> I've got shoes and I apparently get concerned about it because I had that dream too. Security is the point, right? The point of food, clothing, lodging. Jesus identifies these things, and he says, these things are your essential necessities. You need these things, but my heavenly Father will provide for them, and he will for you. And this is kind of his prescription. When he wraps it all up, he says this in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the Father. And all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Listen to that. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Do you know that you don't have to carry your worry? Did you know that? Because our Father has already assigned someone else to carry your worry. Do you know who it is? Tomorrow. It's already been assigned to tomorrow. You don't, get, you don't have to carry it. It's already got an assignment. Our Father said, tomorrow you get, <laughs> bad news for you, you get to worry. Because my children don't need to. 
So we're just going to let them put all of their worry on you so they can live in today. And then they're going to look back. Yesterday sometimes was heavy, but I'm not there. I'm here. So I don't have to worry about yesterday because it's gone. I'm here in today, and I don't carry worry today because it's got an assignment. It's been assigned to tomorrow. And when we get to tomorrow, guess what? It's not tomorrow. It's today. And so tomorrow has to carry the worry. We are given an option of whether we will let two masters try to drive our life, God and money, God and worry. We have this opportunity to say, I'm going to let God assign my worry to tomorrow, and instead, I'm going to live in today with my Father. And this brings us to the final thought, which is that security comes from our Father. Our security is not ever found in our worries. It is never provided for. Problems are never solved by our worries. But our security, our foundation, and a place of peace is found in our Father. The worship team is going to come out here, and we're going to prepare to kind of conclude our service. And as we do, I want to just bring you to one more scripture to think about from Philippians chapter 4, where this same word for worry that Jesus has been using is used in another passage. Translators translated it there as anxious, but it says this in Philippians 4 verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. How is it that we how is it we move away from anxiety and worry? Paul, the apostle says, it's through prayer. It's through talking to our Father, committing to him our needs, making our petitions, our requests known to him with thanksgiving. And verse 7 goes on to say this. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the promise. We don't carry worry or anxiety or anxious thoughts. We give them to God through prayer. We share them in prayer with our petitions and our requests. And this is his response. The God of peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I, every time I read this verse, I can't, I can't get over this. I can't get over that this is the promise. He says when we talk with him, when we give it to him, he assigns our worry to tomorrow. When we give it to him, he takes worry and anxiety away from us. When we give it to him, he gives us peace. And how does he do it? He says, I'm giving your heart and your mind to my son, Christ Jesus, to protect. I, I can't get over that, that God doesn't assign it to an angel. He's not like, hey, I'm just going to give you like a, a happy verse to say over and over in your head. No, he says, I'm going to entrust your heart and mind to my son, Jesus, and you will have my peace. There's an Old Testament story. I don't have time to get into all of it. But there's a man named Gideon. Have you ever heard of Gideon in the Bible? 
If you haven't, Gideon was a, a man who was a, became a military leader, even though he wasn't really in the military to begin with. His nation was being overrun, and the angel of God showed up and said, you're supposed to lead your people. And he said, you got the wrong guy. You picked the wrong one. If you don't know, the end of the story goes like this. Gideon ends up with only 300 soldiers, but God delivers the people of Israel, right? But, but while he's still trying to figure it out, like, I don't know how you're going to use me. I don't know how this is supposed to work, right? He, he's caught in this place of, of worry. And so he says, here's the deal. Um, tonight I'm going to go to bed. When I, I'm going to take this fleece and I'm going to lay it on the ground. And tomorrow when I come out, if, the, if all of the ground is wet but the fleece is dry, then I'm going to know this is a sign from you that this is what I'm supposed to do. And so he goes to bed that night. He comes out the next day. Guess what? The ground is wet. The fleece is dry. Bone dry. Somehow the dew, the mist, whatever, missed it. And so he was like, now I'm a man of faith. No, that's not actually what happened. What he actually says is, well, I, this might have been a mistake. So let's try it again. Only this really this is in the Bible. Only this time I'm gonna put it down. Tomorrow morning, I want all of the ground to be dry and this fleece to be wet. And he gets up the next day and he comes out, and the ground is all dry, and he picks up a sopping wet fleece and he, he wrings it out into a bowl. And now finally. He is willing to listen to what God has been saying to him. He finally, through these signs, has kind of gotten over all of this to move forward with God. I bring that up because I think there are many people who live their lives by the fleece. They live their life by the fleece. They're, they're looking for signs. If this sign just goes my way. And then sometimes the sign doesn't go the way that, that you thought. Sometimes it does, but that's not enough. You just need an, another sign. Well, if I just get another sign. Can I tell you that there is an alternative to the fleece? And that's the peace of God that passes all understanding, that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask today before I pray if there's anyone here who says, Pastor Ben, man, I know this. we've been doing this series and it is not an accident that today this was going to be the passage to be shared, but I really am struggling when it comes to issues of worry and anxiety and holding on to things that, that I really know I need to let go of because it's just, it just drives me to worry even more. But I would like to find freedom from that. And I would like the peace that passes understanding from God to guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So would you pray for me? I feel like the Lord's been speaking to me that I can lay my worry down before him. If that's you, would you raise your hand up? Look up at me. Yeah, hands are going up. You can look up at me. I'm not maybe going to be able to see all of you. But right now, you're not responding to me anyway. You're responding to God. As he is saying, I want to trade you. I want to trade you. I want to assign your worry to tomorrow. 
Every day has enough problem of its own. Let's not, let's not get caught up in the worry of what if and when and all of those things. But today, I can give you peace in my son Jesus. Lord, I pray for these who have responded. Lord, they've, they've shared just by their response that you're speaking to them. Lord, and they are responding to you to say, God, would you intervene in my life? Would you meet me here? God, would you, would you help relieve me of the thoughts I have, the worry, the anxiety? And instead, would you bring me to a place of focus on today and my prayer to you as my Father, my provider, my foundation, my caregiver, Heavenly Father, we turn to you. With our heads still bowed, I want to ask if anyone today is prepared to make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been in the church a while. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is your first time. But today, you know that your life is not right with God. That that you have never asked for God to move in your life and forgive you of your sin and to make your life right with Him. And today you say, Pastor, I don't want to leave without a chance to ask God's forgiveness over my life and to decide to follow Jesus. If that's you, would you lift your hand up and look up at me? I'm not going to embarrass you or call you uh, out or anything like that. I just want to know, is anybody deciding that today I'm going to follow Jesus? You may be online today watching, and perhaps you are coming to a place of deciding that you want to follow Jesus. I want you to know this is a church that wants to help you as you follow him. You can comment there or you can message the church so that we can follow up with you to help you in your first steps as a follower of Jesus. And now I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask our our prayer team, our ministry leaders, if you would come to the front. As we conclude the service today, we're about to, to worship and pray together, be dismissed. But when we do, you'll have an opportunity. If you would like to bring your need to the Lord and find somebody who will pray with you, to come to this altar and be able to to ask God to meet your need. Would you stand with me? Lord, I pray for your ongoing work in our hearts as we're responding to you. Let your word echo in our hearts from this place. Lord, let the peace that passes understanding guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, I pray. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. You're dismissed, but let's continue to worship.